the response is not just prayers. The response cannot just be excuses. The response sure as hell cannot be more guns. The National Rifle Association, I'll say this, is bankrupt morally. And they need to be held to account to their rhetoric and to their actions. We can do more and do better on gun safety. Good enough never is. California continues to lead the nation, Massachusetts, a few other states. Um, but there are areas where we still fall short. High capacity magazine clips. Repeat high capacity magazine clips have no place in the streets of this country, let alone the streets of this city and state. The voters of California overwhelmingly approved a measure uh, that would deny the ability for people to possess large capacity clips in excess of 10 rounds. I think that was appropriate. That's being held in court because the National Rifle Association did not see eye to eye with the people of the state of California. We will prevail in that endeavor. That's another example of something that is a reform that is long overdue. There's a new California tax on semi-automatic guns being proposed. The union dues ruling by the Supreme Court is not a headache yet for the California Teachers Association. And a voter fraud scheme uncovered in L.A.'s Skid Row. That's what's coming up on this week's episode of California Streaming. You're listening to the California Streaming Podcast with Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're just three conservative friends trying to provide some counterbalance in one of the most liberal states in the union. So let's hop on our magic choo-choo train to nowhere and talk some California politics. Good evening, guys. Hello. Hey, I hear that bullet train's almost finished. (laughs) Welcome back, everyone. Uh... We're not in episode 2049 yet. I think that's when the bullet train would be done. Oh, yeah. Mm. This is only episode 27. I can't believe 27. We're almost done with the year. We're getting pretty close. I didn't think we'd get past five episodes, but now we're approaching 30. That's like 30 hours of listening to us speak. That's got to be awful. <laughs> Especially that's, for for our closest fans. <laughs> that's a lot of speaking. Yep. Oh, okay. We got some good stories today. Unless you guys have anything to offer before we get the ball rolling. No, just another day in Gavin Newsom's paradise. <laughs> so we got some more gun legislation. Super. So obviously this is coming at the heels of, you got a couple of things I think coming together. You've got the shooting in Thousand Oaks at Borderline Bar. Uh, right, and you got Gavin Newsom now. You know he's getting ready to take the reins, so he is he needs to assert himself on some issues. And just to review for listeners who, well, you probably do know, but Jerry Brown looks super conservative compared to Gavin. Oh yeah. So this is about to get real fun. Yeah, I. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, this story I think came from the uh, Sack B. California lawmakers. Let's see, a new California tax on semi-automatic guns proposed by lawmaker. California lawmaker will push for a new tax on sales of semi-automatic firearms with the proceeds going to support community violence prevention programs. Very vague and ambiguous. Uh, Yeah. Here's a quote. The gun tax will support the kind of interventions that make gun violence less likely in the first place, which is exactly what we need to do. Assemblyman Mark Levine, Democrat, 
Greenbrier, not that Mark Levine, said in a statement Wednesday, um, the new tax revenue would be routed through the existing California Violence Intervention and Prevention Program. That's all capitalized. That's the name of a formal program. I was impressed. Yeah, the CVIPP. Overseen by the Board of State and Community Corrections. I love the layering oh, of California oh, no, it's, it's, programs. The more layers equals betterness. I mean, it's just, it's just true. <laughs> Which send grants to cities and community-based organizations. Will Shuck, Levine's chief of staff, said the amount of the excess tax is to be determined, of course, but that the state could look to Chicago or Seattle which impose a $25 tax on most firearm sales as a model. Money goes to these organizations that are ran by family members of politicians. (laughs) Oh, did I say that? We see how well Chicago's doing with gun violence. Let's do what they do. I think it's a big slap in the face to California when we had this mass shooting over in Thousand Oaks in that we have the top rules or gun restrictions. Right. What would have prevented this? What would have you said? Right. Oh, a total violation of the Second Amendment. Right. Well, even, even then, right? I mean, if you had a gun, if you found a gun, people find guns all the time. Right. They don't get them registered legally. So what would have prevented this? What law, what could we have put in place to prevent it? Maybe this tax would have discouraged this person from buying <laughs> the twenty-five dollars. <laughs> right. I really want to go shoot these people up because I'm depressed and mentally ill. Wait, oh, wait, but it's twenty-five yeah. bucks. No, no, I'm just going to go volunteer at the soup kitchen tonight. <laughs> like, what world do we live in? Better use of my time is a soup kitchen, of course. You know what's interesting is a study by Northeastern University actually said that mass murders occur between 20 and 30 times per year, and about one of those incidents on average takes place at a school. Um, But that it's basically an insignificant amount of violence Well, when you look at 360 million people. It's totally true. And that, I mean, it's the part that people don't, which, which that I get it. That's very cold, callous. People lost family members, but statistics are statistics, and they exist for reasons to help us make decisions and to and, and if you're going to make decisions, options right that affect you know to, uh, we're talking about state level here, but if you're going to talk about Second Amendment stuff at the national level, you're talking about something that's going to affect you know what is it 50 million gun owners or whatever it is and 326 million people whatever the population is these days, even if you lost, I'm just going to be completely cold stats driven right now. Even if you lost 10,000 people a year to mass shootings, still not a significant blip. Yeah. So let me give you as another comparison, a a, a gentleman who who does a ton of research in this area, the left hates this guy because he's all about statistics and numbers. Like you're talking about John Lott, right? He wrote the famous book, more guns, less crime made the argument that you look at the areas in the country that have looser gun laws where people can get more access to guns, they statistically have lower crime rates. Okay. So he wrote on November 28th in the Tuscaloosa News. He said, over the course of 18 years from 1998 to 2015, of the 97 countries where we identified mass public shootings, 
the U.S. ranks 64th per capita in its rate of attacks and 65th in fatalities. Major European countries such as, now when I say these countries, think millionaires and billionaires and burn. Okay. Major European countries such as Norway, Finland, France, Switzerland, and Russia all have at least 25% higher per capita murder rates from mass public shootings. So they obviously, especially in this state, but in the nation in general, they just continue to have us think we're, we're the tops, we're the worst. We commit so much larger atrocities than anywhere else in the world with our Second Amendment gun laws. It's just not true. Right. So the other thing that um, the Northeastern study talked about was that one in five U.S. gun owners obtained a firearm without going through a background check at all. Shocker. Right. So you're talking about, I think, I think the issue is people believe that if we have all of these laws that everybody's just going to follow them. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> we haven't seen that with criminals. It's kind of like the same, totally different topic, but the same assumption that everyone who goes into government is just this benevolent angel. Like you can apply whatever sort of, of, of idealistic personas to people that you want that that's not reality. And that's not the reality here. Well, and what we need to do, I've believed this. I've had a lot of conversations with others that believe this is the issue is mental health. Something snaps in a person that makes them want to go shoot up a bar, a school, their family, whatever it is. We need to get to the bottom of why they're in that place, not the means at which they're doing it. Because if they really want to go out and kill people, they're going to do it with whatever means they have available to them. A vehicle. A vehicle or anything, right? A homemade bomb, whatever. The internet's made it easy to do that. I also was reading a bunch of research. It was kind of interesting. When you start looking at why these incidents have increased, it kind of is juxtaposed with the rise of social media, the my life is better than yours, we the depression. FOMO. Yeah, and, and the lack of two-parent household. All this stuff has just kind of started coming to a head, you know? just less interaction with people. It's true. Um, I was talking to somebody about this today, but just the feed, how that feeds into someone's um, anxiety, irritation, frustration. There's almost no lack of avenues for that to happen with. So, I mean, social media being the, the biggest one, right? Well, I don't want to, fe- I don't want anybody to feel like we're being insensitive to what's happened with the mass shootings, I happen to know one of the gentlemen who was killed in Thousand Oaks. His father and my uncle were best friends growing up, and I knew him. Uh, it's a tragedy that happened. I mean, even I had a, a family member who was killed this earlier this year due to gun violence, and it happened in Bakersfield. And unfortunately, it was not a mass shooting as it's classified to be. Right. But she was out on a date with a new boyfriend and someone decided that they were going to walk up behind them and shoot them execution style. And it was not put out on national news because what it comes down to was that shooting was just an initiation for some gang member. And what they do 
is they go around and they shoot somebody because that's how you get in the gang these days because there's no going back because they will trace that bullet. They will find that gun Mm -hmm. and they will eventually try to find something on you. So there's no going back. You know, and as I'm hearing you describe this, I think you're right. But I think part of the problem is that, how do I say this? You, you talked about this idealistic, um, uh, mentality about people and what they will do or won't do. And I think that's at the core of this is especially our generation and even younger is becoming very separated from the realities of other countries and societies that distinctly did not have second amendment rights and the ramifications of that. And so we are beginning to apply and and not understand people in our society now are not understanding, well, nobody's going to do anything wrong if we just ban all guns, the, especially going straight to the reason the Second Amendment exists. You're absurd for thinking that the U.S. government would ever do anything, quote unquote, out of bounds if we didn't have guns and, and weren't able to resist. I mean, murder in itself is illegal, doesn't stop anybody from doing it outright. Right. And so I just think we're, and you, and you see it with the democratic socialism movement, people who are, are wanting to reflirt with these ideas simply because we're kind of removed from, from the history and actually what happened in these countries. And so we're now reapplying these idealistic um, notions of, and people, younger people don't have a, even amidst these tragedies, because they, they certainly are tragic. But why why do we have this thing there in the first place? Why does the Second Amendment exist? Well, over in Brazil, they got themselves a new president or president-elect, and one of his um, election campaign items was he wants to give our version of the Second Amendment to their people because they don't have guns. Mm. But they happen to be the murder capital of the world. They, they, a lot of people die in Brazil. That would be an unbelievable case study then. If, it, if, if it is true. This. It is true. They have incredible gun violence because only bad guys have guns. Well, so in theory, we're about to see what will change. Exactly. Mm. Well, and I think what people fail to realize is our country was founded on dissent. Yeah. Right. So yeah. a lot of these countries either have uh we're pretty young as country history goes it's true right so our country was founded on escape from tyranny and everything else and unfortunately weapons are the only way to really ensure your freedom in something and, like they're and going back to brazil they're coming out of a military dictatorship which is why right. no no good people have guns only the bad people have them Exactly. And so, you know, we talk about this all the time. The The government has a monopoly on violence when you think about it, you know. They're the only ones legally allowed to enact it, basically. Right. And right? they're the only ones able to take something by force, legally. And what is your defense for that? 
people will say all the time, oh, you think you're going to overthrow the government or you think that the government's going to come after you or that's such an old way of thinking or, you know, it's 2018. We're not that far removed from atrocities and there's atrocities against entire groups of people still going on today in other parts of the world. You still have entire races of people trying to exterminate other races. Like, we're not that far removed from right. from those... It's literally just miles away exactly, from us. Exactly. You know, and I don't, I don't, I've never believed the reason is guns. It feels easy because that, it's an yeah. easy thing to say. Right. Take away guns. Right. Dealing with the mental health aspect of it all is hard because there's no easy answer for that. It takes a lot of money. And I think you have to figure out why we have such increased incidence of mental health problems these days. It's not as easy as just saying, take the guns away. Nobody actually really wants to get their hands dirty and do some work, right? I mean, that, that's really what it boils no down question. to. Um, I, I don't think <laughs> we just keep... T- What's but, funny is we're cool taxing this, right? And we have another thing that we can't do any regulation on because it's constitutionally guaranteed, and that's voter IDs. Right. right. The argument you hear all the time is, nope, you can't require an ID to vote because that's essentially a, a poll tax and you make it impossible for everybody to be able to vote. It's not as inclusive as it should be. It's constitutionally guaranteed. Yet we just keep regulating the hell out of firearms. This would be an interesting one. I, I'm not a legal scholar. I'm by far from it. You're close. No, I doubt it. But but the thought did cross my mind. You know, you start in to your point, you start imposing a tax on something that is constitutionally allowed. Is that rooms to, could this end up in the Supreme Court of California when they pass this, because this will go through, um, that you are making it more difficult for me to enact my Second Amendment right by imposing this tax? If I imposed a special tax on the press... right. Holy exactly. Lord, how no, they come down. Exactly. Holy Lord. Isn't that what's... This seems like it could be teed up for the Supreme Court. Could be. But, I mean, I'm... <laughs> what's funny is uh, right after the borderline incident, Ashton Kutcher took to Twitter to yeah. give the world his thoughts on gun violence. Critical, critical. I was, I was on the edge of my seat waiting for him to say something. Yeah. He talked about how he had gone there many times before. This is a tragedy. We need to do something about gun violence. He talked about a story in which he went there for his birthday or something. And as a gift in the parking lot, a friend gave him a gun as a gift. And now he doesn't know if he could ever use that gun. He's probably going to get rid of that gun. People were quick to point out that there were two felonies that occurred in that transaction. (laughs) He he didn't transact the gun through uh, an F... What is it? An FRL? FFL. FFL. So the first one is that the gun was purchased for somebody else other than the purchaser. (laughs) Classic. Right? There's a felony. And that the gun was illegally transferred, not through a federal firearms licensed dealer. I love it. And so everyone started tweeting and adding LA County Sheriff's Department, ATF, FBI, saying you're going to do something about this. He just admitted to two felonies. So great. Right? But in that tiny little funny story of of an idiot, you kind of get, these are laws that exist already, and people are not following them. 
Like we already have a boatload of laws in this state and regulations on guns. You can't regulate utopia. You can only bubble wrap so much. They'll continue to try as we talk about every week, all of their attempts to, but speaking of dictatorships. Yeah. California teachers union. Oh, them. (laughs) Uh, This was another story. I don't remember where this one came from. Well, Cal watchdog. It is a Cal watchdog story. Watchdog. Union dues ruling by Supreme Court, not a California Teachers Association headache yet. U.S. Supreme Court's June decision in the Janus versus AFSCME case that public employees couldn't be compelled to pay union dues was widely seen as a game-changing moment in U.S. politics. Um, the Atlantic went so far as to call it a huge blow to public sector unions and suggested the decision had the potential to end, quote-unquote, such unions in America. Um, But five months later, the experience of the most powerful public employee union in the nation's largest state undercuts the assumption that Janus would take a quick toll on unions' clout. So basically, the California Teachers Association did not feel any impacts of that, so much so that they continue to get big people elected in the state. Um, For those that don't know, the California Teachers Association is probably the largest, most powerful union in the state of California. Who runs Barter Town? Yeah, so they don't disclose how many members they have, but the Sacramento Bee did some research. And uh, their their assumption is that there's about 325,000 teachers represented by CTA. Let me let me pause you right there for a second. These are likely the same people, right, that argue for um, transparency in our federal government. Correct. And how, uh, uh, or, or in corporations especially, right? Uh, these evil corporations they ask for are, transparency in stuff that they're against, not in stuff they favor. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Hmm. So it's hard to figure out, but it, I'm just focusing on the point. Right, you get that, a bell for that one. Thank you. It's hard for them. For, it's hard for somebody doing research to figure out exactly what's going on inside Smoke the Smoke and mirrors. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, they collected more than 150 million dollars in dues last year, uh, which is why they're the most powerful. No, no. Um, they spent 16 million uh, as of October 31st. Five million more than the 2014 election uh, against Marshall Tuck. Of course. Um, so they supported Assemblyman Tony Thurmond, Democrat out of Richmond, for the state superintendent of public ed. And uh, so they were obviously against Marshall Tuck. They put $16 million into that campaign, you know, or into their campaign against and for. So I think what's. What's interesting is that you you see how we talk about it all the time, lobby organizations, big unions, how they really just push the state around into doing whatever they want. Absolutely. I mean, it's still my understanding that you're not going to get elected in this state in in terms of a like a statewide office unless you've got their backing. You'll get crushed, right? You, you need their stamp of approval, yeah. their endorsement, right, in order to get elected. It's it's the hardest thing to grab. Who got that? Out of curiosity, who got it between Feinstein and, and uh, 
uh, uh, Kevin Leone. You know what? I'm going to have to look back into that because it seems interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that um, Delian probably got it. I think, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he got most of the endorsements. Because he got the party endorsement. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not entirely certain. I have just to go curious. back into that. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's a cabal. They know what they're doing. Will they start losing power when individuals start leaving? I don't. I don't imagine a whole lot of teachers are going to leave. I would not that. in the grand exodus that people think it's going to happen. It'll be a generational move. Yeah, I, I would believe. It. I kind of look at it and go, well, the labor laws are the labor laws. Yeah. What is it that you're doing for me as a union? Yeah. What is it that you do for me? And I don't think they can accurately respond to their um to their member paying you know mm-hmm. their members and say this is what we do for you not only do we collect dues and we collect a lot of them 125 million apparently but we're ensuring that you have a job oh you because the state wouldn't need teachers you know we, we would all of a sudden say ah oh, we don't need education right there's plenty of private schools out there that would love to pay well qualified teachers to Work, yeah, that and goes their down. Facility. That goes down the road of competition, so, and we I, don't like that. I mean, I was looking at a, an article. There's a teacher who's already uh, suing the union, and he's alleging that his constitutional rights have been violated because the union refused to allow him to withdraw his membership. Uh oh. So. We're going to keep an eye on that one, see what happens there. I don't know if the if CTA endorsed anybody. Oh, really? Because I'm looking on their website. I punched in my address for their voter guide toolkit, yeah. which now I'm probably marked. <laughs> oh, for sure. Good job. Uh, they've got the superintendent of public ed. They've got governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, state controller. Now, mind you, these are all straight ticket Democrats. But you know, know what? They're probably going down. They're going for state. It sounds like they're going for state and keeping away from the federal. Oh, that might be true. That it was Senate, obviously. So, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. So, I'm, if it's California, then they're yeah, interesting. I mean, there are representative great, but yeah, right, right. What's funny? It caught this. This they whole, were no on Prop Six. I know that's okay. <laughs> oh man, because oh, because the schools are crumbling, and so, they need <laughs> they need that money. So let me ask you something. Yeah, because I don't know the answer. I don't even know where to begin. What is the answer to preventing these giant labor groups from basically imposing their will on the state? Like we talked about, they've just got millions to inject, and they've got 320,000-plus members. Even the SACB estimated maybe 10% opted out after the right. legislation passed. Right. Still, though, they got 90% of their power and clout. What is the answer to making organizations like that not have the the will they've got? Well, if I had to go, you obviously need an opposing force. Mm-hmm. So the darkness rises, the light comes to meet it, right? So who's the opposing very force? profound, Bobby. <laughs> it's like Batman. <laughs> so, well, who's opposed to being in that union? All the private school teachers. They didn't want to be in the union. Otherwise, they would have gone into public teaching. So 
do they pull their money together in some kind of um but that's apples pack. but that's apples to oranges because the money is being pooled together for the public teachers already from your tax dollars your tax dollars might i mean that's where this goes down the road i personally think you you can't have unions in public sector at, at least in this sort of sector where there is alternative um like you said, private school. Well, I mean, what we're really asking. I mean, because you're I'm forcing at, kids to go to public. I mean, I'm, I'm education at, is a requirement. I'm looking at right? you guys and I'm just saying, like, okay, then we're asking the teachers' union to to learn from its mistakes, which they will not do. They love the power that they have, and they're not willing to just give it up because they've seen the light. Well, it's an it's an interesting concept because you touched on it, John. You've got a ridiculously powerful public teachers union Mm -hmm. that is supporting politicians Mm -hmm. that essentially, because also on the local level, let's not say this goes just, this is not just at the state level that then is supporting the politicians that they're going to be across the table negotiating from. Right. That then determine their pay and their metrics and everything else. To this point, I know we've played it before, but it's so applicable and it's Friedman talking about why public unions are strong. Let me play real quick. Why are they so strong? Because the people who arrange employment with them are not the people who pay their salaries. It's the taxpayers of New York who pay the salaries of the people, but it's the officials of New York City who make the deals with the unions. Right, so to your point, they sat down at the negotiating table the politicians and the teachers, and money is flying back and forth all the time. It's a giant feedback But loop. neither of them are responsible for having raised the money. It's us who is mandated to give the money. Right. Well, that's a sweet setup. You're essentially negotiating with a blank check. Exactly. That's the problem. And then there's no metrics at the end of the day to even hold people accountable. You know, we talked about well, teachers and all that a couple episodes ago, and I took the unpopular position that I'm not happy with the level of instruction in this state. Right. And that by every measurable metric, our classrooms are not great. Right? Our scores suck. Common Core is... Or or, or at best case scenario, scores are staying the same and the costs are going through the roof. Right. Which is still a disaster. And that in this this state, there's one-to-one administrator for every teacher... So how do we keep people accountable? Well, the idea is to put our own, peop- our own people in the position to be the negotiator, which is the politicians. We get rid of the politicians who made the bad deals, Greg, Greg Davis, for example, and we put in somebody who's responsible. But the politician is thinking like a politician, no matter who's Correct. in there, left or right, doesn't really matter because it is an unpopular position to oppose the teachers' union in any facet. Oh, you're against teach. Oh, you're against education. Oh, you're against the children. You're against the children. Now right. the children come back into it. When convenient, the children are at the table. Exactly. Well, and teachers should be not pissed at the taxpayer for not giving them more money. They should be pissed at the administrators that continue to get these high six-digit salaries for administrating. And there's so much overhead that all the money that is available 
you're not able to use it to buy supplies for your classroom. It's going to the managers above you. There's these $200,000 administrators in these school systems that that's where the money is going, right? It's not like there's a lack of funding for schools. There is, God, I should have pulled the number on that. There is millions and millions and millions. Oh, there's more than there's ever been. Yeah. Getting pumped into schools. So where is that money going? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, of course, right. Yes. And there's lots of teachers. Good things. Good things. <laughs> there's lots of teachers making arguably not great, great right. uh, pay scales, but there's a lot of administrators making a crap ton of money, and there's way too much administrative bloat. I mean, like, that was a stat I found. There's one administrator for every one teacher. That's ridiculous. So, as you guys know, I love Thomas Sowell. Um and so he, I pulled a clip of his kind of here towards the, as we get towards the end of this segment, kind of a clip of how he would go about fixing it. And we've kind of flown by some of these ideas before, but this guy puts it so eloquently. Let me play it for you. Oh, I would, oh, that, that's uh, very easy. I would allow their parents to have a choice of where to send them to school, whether that choice is called a voucher scheme, open enrollment, tuition tax credit, any kind of scheme of that sort. They would put that power in the hands of their parents, mainly because that would mean that the schools would have to be responsive to them. As it is now, the school is a monopoly. They need not be responsive. I have relatives right here in New York uh, whom I've had to intervene for because the schools would not even treat them decently, much less give them access to the information they wanted that they were entitled to under the law. If you- so this next part, I'm pausing it because this next part is, the, is to me the critical part of the clip. Because she's about to ask the question that always gets asked when this argument gets brought up about vouchers, etc. Here we go. Put it in the hands of the parents, and the parents are themselves uneducated mm-hmm. and not really aware of what the various potentials are. What makes you think that they would decide more intelligently than the present system? I think, again, history. Uh, blacks, as blacks emerged from slavery, oh, a minute percentage could read or write and yet, in half a century, over half the black population was literate. Uh, an economic historian has called that one of the most remarkable things in history. If you look back to the era prior to the Civil War, when there were free blacks about uh, half a million in the United States, they not only were not allowed in the public schools, they were in some states forbidden even to send their children to private schools and had to do so clandestinely. And yet the census of 1850 showed that most free blacks could read and write. So I don't think that uh, the fact that people have little education means that they are in any way uh, uh, poorer judges than distant bureaucrats who have their own access to grind and run the public school system. That's fascinating, actually. It I didn't is. know that. It is. Um, but facts, facts, get, facts get tricky. I'm a huge fan of the voucher system. I, I, again, it's kind of what we talk about. Instead of your tax money just going into this, Yep. magical pot you don't see, you get a voucher and you get to vote with your voucher. And I'm the first to say it is still, as we talk about, it's still a form of redistribution, but it is a much more efficient use. If you're going to redistribute, at least let's make the outcomes efficient. Well, because I don't have a choice. I, I can't opt out okay, exactly. of, of paying into public schools. Right? Exactly. It, I don't get that choice. So I might as well just receive a voucher and then take that money and put it where I'd like to put it. Bingo. Well, I pulled the, uh, the budget so that you would know what the numbers are, Louie. And 
currently we we are going to spend because the budget got passed. We're going to spend fifty six billion dollars on education here in this state just for. So when I said millions and millions, I was off. You're you're off just a little bit, and then on top of that, we're going to spend an additional sixteen billion dollars on higher education, just for giggles. The next biggest line item is, of course, uh, health and human services, which is about forty billion dollars. And then everything else drops off the map. So seventy-two billion on education, right. give or take. That's crazy. Where's it going? Uh huh. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, again, I don't want to sound callous about it, but that money's going somewhere, and you can't you can't tell me that with seventy-two billion, these are the scores we get. Like, if you just put a little bit more, and we'll get better scores. That's a ton of money. That just it's, has no. It, it's it's again, no one's being really held accountable as long as nothing. Well, crashes. teachers get tenured and teachers don't get fired. Like it's it's the biggest joke in the world. We we hear all the time. It's impossible to fire a teacher, right? Even when they do something that's abhorrent or something that we know is wrong. They go into like a teacher purgatory where they keep collecting their paycheck. And then even at the end of the day, half the time they come back to work. There's no accountability on any of it. If you're a crappy teacher, I mean, think about it. Think back to your past. We all went to college and all that stuff. Oh, there was some horrendous teachers. We have had our (laughs) run of teachers. How many can you remember that really were impactful on your life? Right? Like... I don't know, maybe on one hand, I yeah, right. between K through 12, sure. going to college and then going to grad school, I have maybe three or four that I was like, wow. That's fair. They're awesome, you know? The rest were just like either, well, God, especially once I got to university, they were pushing their agenda. They were part of the liberal machine. It was less, it was less about teaching. It was more about indoctrinating, you know? And I think that's the other component to all of this is the giant liberal feedback loop of not just the union funding the politicians who fund the union, but then you go back to they use the institution to push more of their agenda. Right? Classic. Anything else? We beat them up enough? But yeah. Vouchers. We never really beat them up enough, really. <laughs> it had to take a while. <laughs> This next one can't be a true story because I was told this does not exist. It does not no, no, exist. No, 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 yeah, you? no, let's, again, voter fraud is not, it's fake news. It's fake news. Voter fraud is fake news. I originally found this story in the LA Times, but a lot of people were carrying this story. Headline, election fraud scheme bribed LA homeless with cigarettes and for signatures, prosecutors say. Nine people face felony charges in Los Angeles after a large-scale election fraud scheme used cash and cigarettes to bribe the homeless, according to the district attorney's office. Hundreds of homeless people who live on Skid Row, a notoriously poor section of L.A., were offered $1 bills or cigarettes to forge other people's signatures on voter registration forms and on petitions to get measures on the California state ballot. Uh, Here's a quote from uh, L.A. PD Captain Mark Reyna. They come in and they target the homeless population because they can get so many signatures. 
When you see those tables and lines of people down the sidewalk, it gets conspicuous. I think you meant, I think they meant to put suspicious and we're able to take action. They literally just go to Skid Row. This is how, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> how brash they are. They go to Skid Row, they set up a table, and they're handing out cigarettes and dollar bills. Before we get into this, let's because there's a cop who this is his beat, yeah. and he's yeah. gonna he's gonna talk. It's a small clip, but he's gonna talk. I was just gonna say I, I've been around this stuff for a long time, and how it works is. These, Did you get dollar these, bills and cigarettes? These canvassers get paid a certain dollar amount per signature they get. So they're incentivized to get as many signatures as they can get. Makes sense. Makes sense. Roll the clip. It's been going on for years. That's right. Voter fraud. Joseph says it's pretty common for people hired by lobbyists to set up tables outside the missions and pay people for several fake signatures for various ballot measures from all across the state. As you can see, it's from San Diego. They say, hey, you want to make a quick buck? And you can get a quarter, a dollar, a cigarette, and sometimes food. But in the last few cases, it's been money. And that was an officer speaking who, that, that he saw this happening. That was his beat. And um, there you go. Doesn't exist, though, folks. It does <laughs> not exist. I get in this debate all the time with this one person online. He's a super liberal attorney, and he... He flat out believes that voter fraud is a myth and he thinks voter ID laws are a way to dissuade people from voting. Did you send him this clip? I punched out a whole thing about this and then he said, this wasn't voter fraud. That's what he told me. Oh, can I, okay. can I read you? You said it right there. There's a quote from Dean Logan, the head of LA County elections yeah. quote. It's not really voter fraud in terms of illegal voting and manipulation. Right. And so what was interesting, this is the free resources. The friend gave me that quote. He goes, Un- it even says in the article, it's not voter fraud, Louis. That's why you're wrong. So I did a little digging. I went to the LA County criminal court website. Boom. I put the case in. I brought up the nine defendants and I looked up all their charges. Uh-huh. They were all pretty much charged for multiple counts of voter fraud, like the actual election uh-huh. code 18,001 yes. and two or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Um, because you're falsifying voter information. Exactly. And they're being charged, a bunch of them are being charged with the second count, which is being an election official and That's illegally right. getting Ooh. these because signatures. when you go and canvas, you are sworn in as an election official. Ooh. Exactly. So that was... Getting tricky. Right. So <laughs> he, he never replied. I took the time to write up this whole thing. I spent way too too much time that, on that, this. That deal. sounds like a lib. When the yeah. argument gets uh, heated, went, <laughs> went through all the felony charges, and they were being charged with voter fraud. Oh. They're getting registration signatures now. I get it. To vote on a petition or to give you a petition signature, you must be a registered voter. So they're getting the voter registration in conjunction, so they can count the signature. I understand that part. But if we're going to say that getting signatures from ballot measures is something we're cool with, like, <laughs> that just because they're not out getting you know signatures for Hillary, right? right? I think people think that that's voter fraud is casting illegal ballots. This is still voter fraud. You are registering people that getting signatures for people that it's not the person they're signing for. And who says they're not going to use that ballot down the road? Because now you have, now you have a registered voter, right? You've created out of thin air, and now you have a ballot that that voter is always going to get to cast. Like, 
Come on. Back in the election, you and I were having a nice conversation about how voter fraud happens in real life, not right. just this petition thing, but the how it really happens. And this is part of it. And in case you didn't hear that one, we'll talk about it right now. What they what they do, and these are very tricky people, scrupulous weirdos, who gather a whole bunch of people who would like money, and they go to uh, precincts, voter precincts on election night. And guess what? They go from precinct to precinct to precinct and cast multiple votes. What they do is they go to the precinct, and outside the precinct hangs your um, your election rolls. Everybody who's allowed to vote in that precinct, and it uh, at a set amount of time, whenever the line gets a little low, someone will come out and start crossing people off who have already voted. It's very handy so that it's fair and honest. However, a lot of people don't vote, but they're still registered. So these groups of people come in, they read who hasn't voted, and they go, hmm, John Smith at 123 Main Street. They walk up to that official and they go, oh, hi, I'm John Smith at 123 Main Street. Give me my ballot to vote. They process the vote. Oh, well, it goes in. No problem. Not even a provisional ballot right. because they're at the polling place that they should be at. But then John shows up and wants to vote. Now he gets a provisional. Now he right? gets a provisional, right. which will probably get thrown out. Right. Uh, and that's if you show up. Remember, a lot of people are just registered and they don't show up. A lot of it's because the rolls haven't been cleaned up either. So you may have moved, and that's why you're still on that particular precinct. You're somewhere else. Right. So this isn't like I'm making it up. This has been happening. And if you know somebody who's worked the polls in your local area, ask them the stories. Well, and I always say, just if you look at it on its face, and especially using the model you just described, even if voter ID is considered, you know, oh my God, you can't do voter ID because you're going to discourage the disenfranchised from voting. Okay, whatever. How are you going to prevent somebody from voting as me? Put some measure in. How are you going to prevent John from going to cast a vote as Louie? In California, there's absolutely zero way to do that. And how is that fair? But we talked about in the first segment, we're going to regulate the hell out of guns, which is a constitutionally guaranteed right as well. But we're cool with that. But when it comes to voting, all of a sudden, it's you can't do anything. You can't do anything that would make it more difficult. When all we're doing is making it more difficult every day to get a gun. And I, I, could, I could probably make the argument, if you gave me enough time, that voting is way more impactful to everybody's life than somebody with a gun. Oh, big time. How, do you, you how do you think we have one-party rule around here? That's what I'm saying. Oh, my right? goodness. The dictatorship and, that is California. And with one, you start being able to influence all the other laws, rules, regulations. Yeah. And here's a clip from Gavin. About talking about, about the, homeless. the homeless population. Oh, Gavin. I think we're going to have a lot of Gavin clips in the next years. But here we go. The Democrats have done a pretty good job. They have. Turning this economy around, addressing the issue of debt. Uh, and <laughs> Debt? That, that is, Democrats have done a pretty good job of turning the economy around and debt. Didn't we just have a... Seriously? Didn't we just talk about uh, McKesson leaving? <laughs> Go ahead and pick it up. Uh, uh, let me, let me, because I, I went a little bit. Let me replay it. 
and start it from the top. The Democrats have done a pretty good job turning this economy around, addressing the issue of debt uh, and uh, growth. Same time, we got a lot of work to do on affordability, homelessness. Work to do, guys. Work to do. We got a lot of work to do. Because the last 40 years, (laughs) that was just child's play. We were just pretending. Wow. He believes done a pretty good job. Just got to clean up the homeless thing a little bit. But, you know, the economy and everything else, you're doing a great job with it. The word delusional comes to mind with so many of these people. Although I, I, we've talked, we've talked about this. We've talked about this on the, on the podcast before. For some people, I do reserve the right. They, they fully well, it's, it's an act. They know the real deal. They want the power. They want the popularity. So they're just blatantly lying. Others, they truly are delusional, truly ignorant. And sometimes it's hard to tell. Well, I think it's, they're so righteous. The righteousness is a big that one. They believe what they're doing is God's will for the most part. I think you're right. I think you're right. They are God, Louis. <laughs> Apparently. Well, that's all I got. So is it time for the James Woods Tweet of the Week? Roll it. Okay. This one, there was a Fox News story that said 46% disagree that America is the greatest country in the world. Nearly half of young Americans believe U.S. is racist and not the greatest country, survey finds. James Woods tweets, quote, 44% of younger Americans believe Barack Obama had a bigger impact on America than George Washington. Let me read that one more time. (laughs) 44% of younger Americans believe Barack Obama had a bigger impact on America than George Washington, end quote. The major surprise here, James Woods says, is that these knuckleheads actually knew who George Washington was. Maybe they were thinking of George Washington Carver, the peanut butter guy. <laughs> he did not invent peanut butter, okay? <laughs> Barack Obama had a bigger impact. I think it just goes to uh, people don't know anything about anything. that era of time. <laughs> like, if you actually read about George Washington, the guy was amazing. Yeah. And uh, he was white, so that doesn't help him misogynist and everything else i get it i get it he was part of the he was part of the man it's true when you just think about the sole fact that he they wanted him to stay in office right and he knew it was better for this country that he not stay in office think about about somebody today the last politician you heard of that said you know what it's just going to be better for me and for the country to not run again there was no term limits yet Right. Like, remember that. Right. And people, everybody wanted him to stay in office. And he goes, no, we need to set a precedent of not having a, a ruler monarchy dictatorship. Like, I need to step out. We need to have an election. Crazy. I, I mean, everybody talked about Obama would have taken a third term if given it. Oh, yeah. Right? And, yeah. And I believe Donald Trump would. Like, I think anybody would, for the most part. Who wants to leave being the president? Totally. You know, I think it was last week he was at some whatever foundation given a speech. Barry. Yeah. Barry's out there giving a speech about himself and he was touting, Oh, you know, I, I was responsible for creating the biggest, uh, uh, economic boom that we've had. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I heard that. And, uh, and energy independent. That was me. So he's touting that fracking is his responsibility. So Obama or Kermit the frog? 
or about the frog? <laughs> it's hard being green. <laughs> I think that's it. That's all we got. Thanks for putting up with us. The year's coming to a close. Hopefully we have a pretty awesome 2019. More episodes lined up. New episodes every week. Available on Apple iTunes and Google. Burn it all down. <laughs>